Hello, and welcome to Learn to Love, a show where we talk all about things you can do to build a better, stronger relationship. Our team is powered by passionate volunteers looking to bring forward the best of what they know to help you stay together. Love is hard, but it doesn't have to be. Our podcast, articles, and videos feature insights from the latest research on relationship psychology, intimacy, conflict resolution, parenting, and more. You don't need to go in blind and make the same mistakes as those around you. Check us out on our brand new website at learnlove.ca or listen on our podcast, the Learn to Love podcast. Thank you for joining us in our vision to create healthier relationships and stronger families. Hello and welcome back to the show. I'm so excited to be welcoming you back to this brand new episode of the Learn to Love podcast where we're going to be talking all about trauma. This is a very special episode because I'm really passionate about it and also it's just so important to help you build a healthy relationship dynamic with your partner. Understanding the role of trauma in the relationship and how to overcome it. This episode is going to be filled with analogies. And if you want to follow along with pictures and text, check it out on our blog. It already came out on our blog. One of the rare uh, cases, the past couple episodes of when something comes on the blog uh, first before the podcast, we still have to update the blog with the rest of conflict resolution, which will be done um, over the next few weeks. But I'm really excited to get into this with you, um, just because it's so important. I really think that it's not talked about enough. So if you're following along, search for the article, How Heavy is a Glass of Water? Unpacking Trauma. And if you just want to listen, that is awesome, too. That's what we're going to get into on the show. Um, We're going to talk about trauma, what it is, its physiology, how it affects your relationship, how it often affects people's own life too, like self-esteem, and ways to overcome it. All right, so what is trauma? I'm going to start off this episode with an analogy about holding a cup of water. And by the way, one more thing, we're also going to talk a bit about the brain in this episode and about dreaming. So if you were curious about dreaming and a little bit about what dreams might mean, why we dream, uh, we'll get into that a little bit here. All right, so how heavy is a glass of water? Well, think about it. A glass, you know, half full or maybe completely full. How heavy is it if you hold it out at arm's length? Well, the answer is, well, actually think about it a little bit more. How heavy is a glass of water? If we are a young child, maybe a full glass of water would be quite heavy, right? But if we're listening to this as adults, um, for many of us, most of us, a glass of water wouldn't actually be that heavy. We would just think of it as something light that, yeah, you know, we can pick up, we can hold out. But try this test. If you have a glass of water, just don't do it next to your computer. (laughs) Um, If you have your computer next to you, just hold out that glass of water at arm's length away. How heavy is it? The answer is that it depends on how long you hold the glass. So if you hold the glass for just a couple moments, 
okay, it's not so bad, it's not so heavy, whatever, I can hold it for 10 seconds, no problem. And now after 30 seconds or a minute, if you're, if you're still holding the glass um, this far in the episode, it actually starts to feel quite a bit heavy, okay? Maybe not after a minute, but wait till you get to five minutes and your arm might start to cramp. And if you're still holding out that glass by the end of this episode, that's amazing. I'm not sure if there's a Guinness World Record for the longest time somebody held a glass of water um, or like, I don't know, a few pounds weight um, out um, in front of them, but you should check that out and you should try run for it. <laughs> okay, so the longer we hold out the glass, the heavier it is. The same is true with our, why am I bringing this up? Our stress, guys, our stress, our emotions. How heavy is something? Well, it largely depends on how long we hold it in. The longer we hold it, the heavier it becomes. Remember, we talked so much about emotions being called feelings because we feel them in our bodies. Okay, now, the same is true with feeling heavy. A lot of us say, oh, I feel heavy today. Okay, heavy. The glass of water is heavy because you're holding it for a long time. Now, if you hold it for hours, 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 days, months, years, this is going to feel like the most heavy thing. How, how can anybody go through life with something so heavy? but it's just a glass of water, which so many other people think is light if they put it down quickly, relatively quickly. We're going to talk about how to put the glass down. A lot of us actually aren't physically able, or I should say mentally capable of putting down a glass. Um, and this is because we don't have the tools immediately at our disposal to do that, which is where professional help comes in, just like a mechanic who needs to repair a car. You can drive a car that needs an oil change um, until the engine blows and, you know, the whole car breaks down on the side of the highway and you're stuck before a meeting. Or you could just hire the mechanic to help you change the oil to fix that engine. It's kind of the same thing with this glass of water. Some of us are going to have trouble putting down the glass because of something in our brains, the way our brains are working. We get into that. And if this glitch is occurring... Um, a professional can help you put down the glass. And we'll talk about what those professionals look like and their techniques. So let's get started. What is trauma? What is holding out that glass for a long time? Now, to understand this, I want you to think about when you were really little, okay? So imagine that you are a young, young child and you are crying, crying, so sad, so hurt, screaming like it's the end of the world, maybe, over not being able to play with a toy or not being able to have a cookie or something. I'm, I'm sure you can imagine this if you have kids. Have you ever seen your kids just be like really, really sad, like crying, screaming, like, ah, you know, like, that's not fair. I want this. And like, they look kind of like the world is ending to them because they can't have a cookie and, you know, another one because they ate enough desserts or they have to go to bed and they don't want to, or they want to play with a toy and they can't um, play with that toy anymore. Now, yes, in some cases, these experiences can be very 
impactful on the long-term development of a child and it can hold significant burden on their lives. But in most cases, in most, most cases, when you think back to this memory, build a memory in your head, hold a memory, I'll give you some moments to think about it, of you playing with a toy, not being able to play, okay? You wanted to play, you couldn't. Uh, someone didn't want to share. You wanted a cookie, you couldn't get it. Think of a memory like that, okay? And we're going to notice collectively something about this memory. So just take a few minutes, find a memory of when you were sad over wanting to play with something. If you have, if you have memories of that as a child, when you're at a young age, just sad that you couldn't have dessert, that you couldn't play with a toy, something like this. Okay, now, if you thought of the memory, if you're still looking for a memory, um, you can pause the podcast here and you can think a little bit more. If you just paused, welcome back. I want you to notice something about that memory, okay? When you think back to it, do you feel very, very stressed, sad, angry? Do you feel those same emotions that you felt, or if you're a parent, that you, you, you see your kids feel and express in the moment when that the moment is actually occurring. Like you were so sad then that you couldn't play with a toy. But when you look back at it and you think about it now, are you still sad about it? Do you still feel that same sadness? Okay. And in many, many cases, the answer is going to be no. No, you're going to think about that experience when you weren't able to play, but it doesn't bring you tremendous pain anymore. Okay? It just, it doesn't hurt. It's gone. You put the cup, you put the glass down. It's not heavy anymore. It doesn't weigh you down. I mean, yes, repeated times when you're never allowed to play can cause problems um, and attachment styles too. We'll talk about that at a later time. Um, but just like, most of the time, most of these experiences, when we were like very sad as young children, you know, I can't play, I can't have dessert, aren't painful anymore when we recall them today. Now, what happened there is something very, very important that I just want to point out to you that happens all the time for many of us, and we don't even recognize that it's happening. It's called dissociation. Dissociation. So, the memory Originally, the experience had a lot of emotion, a very heavy like burden of emotion attached to it. There was very intense emotions that came up um, during the experience, like that crying, that screaming, that being upset that we couldn't have the toy or have something, okay? But then when we recall the memory later, we still maybe have that memory, okay? We still have the memory of, of the out event occurring or another event that you can pick, but it's not as sad. We don't feel as sad later as we felt when we thought about it. Now, our body does this to make life more bearable. Imagine that you never forgot any of the sad feelings that you had, okay, as a young child. <laughs> if, you have, if, you, if you have young children, um, or, you know, your children are a little grown up, I'm, I'm sure you can think back to the times when children were very, very sad a lot. I mean, yeah, our, our children are also very happy, but there are many times when they cry, they scream, um, you know, it's just, it's just for many experiences, it, it can be part of, like, expected of young children to cry, to whine, to scream. Um, and 
Imagine if none of those hard feelings felt as a child ever ever passed. And they were just built up and built up and built up over time. And they always you always carry that with you. That would be too much to handle. You'd have so much that could make you cry. It would be like overwhelming. It would take up all your energy and you wouldn't be able to focus. Okay, so that is um, why our body, our brains, I should say, often disassociates the emotions that came along with the memory. We can still have an in some sort of indication of how we felt when that event occurred, but the feelings are not as significant. Okay? And this can go for positive events and negative events, um, but it's more important that they occur for negative events because like, let's say that you get an amazing, amazing gift from your partner, okay? You can recall that memory again. Let's say the first time you got that gift from them, it made you cry, 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 because you were so happy. But in, in later times, when you recall the gift, it doesn't make you cry anymore. I mean, it feels really good. You smile, but you aren't so overwhelmed with emotion that you cry. And maybe you still cry because it makes you so happy that you got that gift. Okay, that's wonderful. But if you if it was so easy to cry over, over something else, like a negative emotion, it's like that negative event keeps haunting you later in life. And our body doesn't want negativity. I mean, our brains um, doesn't want such negativity to cause so much harm to make it so hard to move on with life that it scrubs a lot of that negativity away. We may still feel bad, but not as bad as when the event occurred. Okay. Now, this is a very, very important part, the scrubbing, I'm going to call it scrubbing of intense emotion, okay? The emotions kind of get dampened from the memory. We still have the memory, but now it is the emotions attached to it aren't so significant. Um, is it is part of the way that memory is stored in our brain. So short-term memory, there are different kinds of memory that we have in the brain. There's short-term memory, so that's a procedural, which um, and other memory, which I'm not, I'm not really going to get into. But the main idea here is that we have short-term memory and long-term memory. So short-term memory is like things that we are engaging with in the moment and up to 30 days, some people think about. And, and long-term memory is things that you just hold for like a very, very long time. For example, um, events that happened years ago. Um, it's in your long-term memory because you can recall it even though it happened so long ago. It's kind of like an archive storage, you could say, in the brain, like special, special long-term storage. Now, to get to that long-term storage, um, it has to get scrubbed. Not fully, but just like a lot of the emotion has to be disassociated from it, okay, to get there. And it's, it's healthy for most memories as they move to long-term memory to get that scrubbing. So we can continue to function or else we'll just be completely overwhelmed with the buildup of emotion that happens over time. Okay. And also like there's so much, I'm not, I'm not saying that emotion disappears entirely. I'm just saying that there's so much new emotion from the experiences that we have every day that we can't just store all of it. So a lot of it gets scrubbed as it transitions to long-term. So short-term memory is generally stored in the hippocampus, okay, hippocampus. And long-term memory is typically stored in the anterior cingulate cortex, okay? It's a different, it's a different part of the brain. And to get from 
one to the other is like a it's a pretty complicated process of how it moves from the hippocampus uh, which is like where most of the short-term memories are stored to the anterior cingulate cortex which is where many of the long-term memories are thought to be stored it's a little bit like we don't really understand the process fully um, but emotional scrubbing is a major part of that transition so that's what I want you to take home from this this take home point now how does scrubbing happen okay well this largely largely happens I think in REM sleep rapid eye movement sleep, okay? It's a stage of the sleep cycle where our brain is trying to integrate memories in a sense. It's trying to make sense of memories to move them around to where they need to be. Um, although it could also happen in deep stages of, of, of deep sleep when it's easier to move messages in a sense or signals from one part of the brain to a further part of the brain because there's less communication in general. The brain waves are in, in less sporadic in a sense, a little bit calmer. So it's easier for, for, for signals to move across larger spaces in the brain without being intercepted or disrupted by more, more action occurring at the time. Um, but just it's important to know that, that largely during, during sleep, especially REM sleep, um, our memories are being, in a sense, scrubbed as they move to long-term successfully okay remember this doesn't mean total loss of emotion it just means a dampening of emotion to make space for more emotion to be experienced through other events in our life okay to have the capacity to to not just be fully under the influence of strong emotions so we can think and make other decisions now sometimes there is a glitch a mouthful Function. Okay, I want you to think of this as a 404 error um, or a 403 error. Um, we're used to mostly 404 um, on the internet. You know, like when you're trying to get to a page on the internet or you click on a link and you get like 404 page not found, um, you're like, you're, you're trying to browse the page but you can't get there. There's like an error. Okay, that's a glitch. It's a glitch. It's essentially there is lines of code that determine the way that we see the internet. And if there's an error, if any, if any one of the lines, and it can't move from the one line to the next line, the code will just stop. And it will give you that error message. You know, page not found, you know, can't proceed. Okay, it's a glitch. Now, what happens when there is a glitch on an internet website? Well, you know, we normally get somebody who understands code to come and fix it. Or we watch some YouTube videos and, uh, you know, read, read Google Forms if um, we want to do it ourselves. Um, but that is the main idea here is that when, there, when there's like a bug, a glitch, we call in a professional or, you know, get some resources to help us make it so that the code can proceed to the next line and then get us the page that we want to see. Now, Sometimes when the brain is storing memory, there is a glitch too. The problem is that if the emotion is too intense, there's like a certain degree of intensity that that emotion can be. At one point it becomes like so intense that it just can't scrub it, essentially. It's too much for the, the hippocampus to transfer to the anterior cingulate because the emotion is too intense. Our brain doesn't have the tools to scrub this, 
to get the emotions off of this because they are just absolutely so intense. Okay. Now, um, an analogy, a way that you can think about this is kind of like a dirty pot. So have you ever had a pot? I don't know, like maybe you were in college and you had roommates who did this or something. I mean, I hope not if, if it was college and there were roommates um, who may have done this. But have you ever had a pot that was so dirty that you just could not clean it anymore with the soap, the tools that you had. Like, for example, there was some, like, I hope not, this is actually really gross, but let's say there's like a little bit of food left on it or something, and then it got stuck, and then you just couldn't scrub it off. You tried putting hot water, it just didn't work, and you had to go to the store and get steel wool or, or something else or some special kind of soap to get that off and to, to clean the pot. Another example could be like rust. You just, you don't have the tools in your house to get the rust off. Okay, so you can either throw the pot away or, and, you know, get a new pot or you can go to the store and get new tools to, to clean it. It's the same thing with our brains and with that emotion, okay? It's so intense, just like the rest on the pot or, you know, I hope not, it's kind of gross, but like food on the pot or something. It's so intense that we just can't get it off. It just can't come off with the tools that we have. Now, what can be an example of emotions that are too intense? Well, this could be a lot of things. It could be things that are just un like, like very stressful for us in the moment. They can be things that are very inconsistent with the setting that we had at the time, like we weren't used to it and then suddenly it came all of a sudden. Or they can be little things that built up over time. There's a lot of there's a lot of different ways that this could look like for people. Okay, but the big idea here is that the emotion is more intense than usual, than usual. Okay, and because it's so intense, just like the rest, it's so much that it can't be scrubbed with the soap at hand. Now, we can just go to the store and buy a new soap or buy a new pot, but you can't buy a new brain, okay? So the brain is struggling. It's really struggling to scrub the emotion. And what it does, it's a hard worker. So when it, when it scrubs it, it just keeps scrubbing again and again and again and again and again and again until it can try to get the emotions off but it can't. It's like, it's like with a rusty pot and like hand soap. You can scrub it as much as you can. The rust is just not going to come off. But the brain keeps trying because it's all it knows what to do. It's just to keep trying. Okay? And when, it, when it, it's trying to do that, it triggers many of the same emotions associated with that initial memory. Okay? It brings the memory back to mind. So what does this look like? Have you ever had some sort of memory come to you or some sort of event that could have triggered something in you that made your heart race, your hands clench, your blood pressure rise, your breathing started to come quick, your eyes were wide open, your, you, you started to have sweat build up on your forehead, okay? Essentially, you're, you're like, you're, your body in that moment is like, an emergency. Essentially, it's acting as if there's a mega emergency occurring or like about to occur. And this is very, 
if you think about it, it doesn't fully make sense if you look at it from an outside perspective, because heart's racing, breathing, um, tense muscles, sweat on your forehead, okay, eyes wide open. This is a way that you would react to like a physical emergency. For example, if you were being attacked by like a cheetah or something, this response, which is called the, the um, fight or flight response, would be a very normal reaction to a situation like that. But the thing is, if you're just sitting on your couch or you're having a dinner with somebody and something like this comes up and then your heart starts racing, I mean, it doesn't make sense if you think about it for the heart to be doing that in the moment because you're not in a sense of physical danger. And I mean, at least cognitively, when you think about it, you kind of know it. It's, it's like, why is my heart racing so much? I'm in a restaurant. I'm safe. Okay. Like physically, I'm I'm safe in the moment or like I'm in my couch. I'm safe. I'm at my house. Like I'm, I'm technically, technically, physically speaking, there is no mega physical threat waiting for me, waiting to get me or something. So it doesn't make sense that my heart is racing so much and my fingers are tense. Okay. Now, but, but what's happening, I'm proposing here is that that memory is being triggered. It's coming back to the front of our minds and it wasn't scrubbed. This is the big, big thing. It wasn't scrubbed. That's why we get all of those attachments to the memory. Arms clenched, breathing fast, you know, sweat on our forehead, heart racing, that came, um, we got all that, that that existed in the initial moment. Now, when I asked you earlier to think about like crying because you couldn't get another cookie after, you know, you had enough dessert as a child or that you didn't want to go to bed at that time, or you, I don't know, you wanted to play, but you, you know, they wouldn't, that your friend wouldn't share, you probably don't get that same arms clenched, sweating, heart racing reaction that existed then, okay? It, it just, you don't recall it. It's because it, of the scrubbing, guys. The emotion has been largely stripped away from it. Now, this is actually, when you think about it, it's kind of like it's, it's haunting you. It's striking you twice when you get an experience that is so bad, like so intense that you just can't scrub it. Like, like it's just so intense that you don't have the tools to even deal with it. Okay. You end up experiencing it again and again and again and again and again and again. Because it's just, it can get triggered. So like if, if the experience left you feeling very lonely, anytime you feel lonely, you can get that same heart racing, arms clenched, breathing heavy, crying that, that you had and that experience that, that you couldn't, that, that very intense experience that maybe happened years ago. You keep reliving it, reliving it, reliving it again and again and again and again. Which is, uh, it honestly, it sucks. It's like, ugh, you just want to tell your brain, hey, the experience sucked. Stop making it, stop making me relive it. Stop. I don't want to relive it anymore. It was bad enough when it happened, but the thing is we can't in the moment on, on our own, we can't stop reliving it because of our brain, like the way that our brain is working, okay? Because we can't get it to long-term. We can't get it from the hippocampus to the anterior cingulate because we can't scrap those emotions, those ones that we want to get rid of the most are the ones that stay with us the longest. Ugh.
Life is unfair sometimes. Um, this, is, this is something that, that I'm sharing with you that's really important because you experience this in your relationship. So we, we shared a message earlier on the show that, that's really important. I want to drive home again here that you cannot assume that your partner or anyone else around you is going to react in the same way to you to the same stimulus, to the same event, okay? So I find this happens very often um, with partners. So let's say the one partner is late to an event, or I don't know, the one partner says some sort of some comment about the way that the other has their hair done or their nails or, or something, or I don't know, a look. And to them, they think, oh, this is fine. You know, like, hmm, you know, no problem. Like, you know, there's just like, I didn't mean any harm in saying this. But the other partner gets very triggered. They're like, what? How could you say that? How could you do that? That hurt me so much. I can't believe that you hurt me. You know, like, what are you doing? Nah, 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 nah. And, you know, their heart's racing. And, and the partner can see that they're really agitated. They're really upset. And then they'll respond back by saying something like, ugh, like, why are you acting like that? I just said this. I never intended for you to get so upset. Like, why are you getting so upset? That's crazy. Have you ever, have you ever like, could, could you imagine a dynamic like this occurring with a coworker, with a partner, with a friend? I don't know, with, with anyone. But guys, what you're not understanding is that the partner, the other, has a different physiological body, bodily response than you do based on their own triggers, their own traumas. Sue Johnson calls the soft spots, which we made an episode about right at the first couple episodes of the show, um, because I think it's so important. We just wanted to get it out right away. Soft spots are things that are triggers of traumas, of memories, events that have not been scrubbed yet, okay, that make a very strong physiological response for your partner. They get them from zero to 100 really, really fast. Now, these are things that you can't expect the other partner on their own to be able to change. If, if a partner has a soft spot, okay, over something, like, for example, commenting about their body, commenting about the way they look, um, or, I don't know, commenting on, or, you know, showing up late, for example, you just have to accept that in the moment and try to work around it. So if the partner really doesn't like it when you, um, I don't know, comment about their weight because it triggers an anxiety of not... By the way, what is anxiety? And, and anxiety is essentially a very strong physiological response, okay? Heart racing, that's, you know, um, sweating, breathing heavy, high blood pressure, tense. This is essentially like the same reaction as a non-scrubbed reaction, an anger that wasn't able to be scrubbed. So maybe there is a trauma based on a long time of not feeling good enough, not feeling like they mattered because of their body. And this could have been largely the cause of social media. Well, not I mean, I can't say directly the cause, but largely aggravated by social media use where we constantly see fake pictures of other people that almost like don't resemble their real life at all and are fed with so many messages saying that we're not good enough um, and that we'll never be good enough and that, you know, okay, social media, sorry, little side rant. Um, but I just, the, the important thing I want you to recognize is that that intense reaction from the partner could be an unresolved trauma, okay? 
an unresolved trauma that it's triggering. And I know what you're thinking. You're probably listening to this right now and going like, oh, oh my gosh, unresolved trauma. Like, why can't they just resolve it? Okay, at the end of the show, we're going to talk about how to actually do that. But I don't want you to get mad at your partner over this because you have them too. Everyone has soft spots. Everyone, everyone, okay? Everyone, including you. We all have soft spots. Some of us have more soft spots than others, but everyone has them, okay? And they're related to unresolved trauma. I'm largely proposing here, which is also the opinion of Sue Johnson, um, a Canadian psychologist, and hold me tight. But the biggest thing you can do is first rescue. If they're ever triggered, remember, we really, really emphasize, if somebody's drowning, first get them out of the water, help them, and then you know, ask them what they're doing in the water. But like first rescue, the first thing you do is you rescue. So that's what I want you to do with your partner. If you see that they're triggered, help them calm down. Remember, remember from conflict resolution, how do you help somebody calm down effectively? Well, the three main ways are the ways that a mother would react to a baby. Saying, I'm here, I'm with you. Offering to give them a hug, okay, holding them, and then some sort of rocking, which could look like stroking, for example, stroking their cheek or like making lines on their arm or on their back and saying, I'm with you, I'm here, and letting them express themselves. What do you feel in your body? Where do you feel it? What's on your mind? And also just asking the question, what can I do right now to support you? Um, because maybe they have something specific, um, you know, that, that's really good, that works for them, that, that you could do. Um, and another note, guys, we said this in conflict resolution, but I'm going to say it again. You don't have to wait until times are bad to figure out what to do with your partner. So, for example, um, you can ask them when times are good, honey, if you were upset right now, what would you want me to do? Or you don't have to say it like that. You can just say, honey, I'm curious. What are things I can do to help you in times when you're upset? I'm just, I'm curious to learn more about you. Guys, people love, in general, talking about themselves. If you say it from a sense of curiosity, of discovery, that is amazing. They're going to be like, wow, somebody cares about me so much that they want to learn how to treat me better. Super, you know? And they, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make them more engaged with you too, I'd hope. Wow, this person cares so much about me because they're so curious about me, so I want to do the same for them. I want to love them. I want to be curious about them. Okay, so we talked about soft spots coming from unresolved trauma, um, which are triggers to unscrubbed memories that bring back the bad event again in full force. Um, and that, that the reason that's coming back is because there's a glitch, like that 404 error that we talked about on websites where the brain just can't scrub the emotion because it's too intense and those tools aren't working just like hand soap won't get rust off a dirty pot. Those tools just aren't working. Now, what happens when we don't scrub those emotions properly, okay, with a professional? Well, two things, two main things can happen here, which are very, very, um, they're very bad. Okay, I'm just going to say it right off the bat. They're very bad, and they're extremely common in society. So, I want you to just notice them and think about if you ever do them in your own life. And I, I honestly believe that these are both largely when they occur related to um, some sort of unresolved event, okay? So the first one is disengagement or numbing. So let's say that when you were younger, um, you had an overwhelming experience, okay, that 
was so intense that you could not, you cannot scrub the emotions from it. It was too intense for your brain to handle. Okay. Let's say that the thing that triggers you is, let's say it was like, it, it was something related to trust or intimacy, or it was something like a feeling that you're not good enough. And that is so strong now that any sort of intimacy or, or trusting dynamic can re-trigger that event again because the trigger is actually intimacy or trust, okay? Because of that, you're going to completely disengage eventually with anything related to intimacy and trust. As soon as you get too close to a partner, you're going to be scared and run away, okay? Maybe. Um, because it's, it's triggering that unresolved thing for you, which is such a sad thing because it's going to prevent you from ever having a healthy and beautiful relationship dynamic if, if it persists, unless it's dealt with, and make it very hard for your partner too because your partner's going to wonder why you tense up so much every time they try to put their arm around you. It's going to hurt them. They're going to feel like you don't love them and not understand what they're doing, like what they're doing wrong. Another form of disengagement is numbing which we talked about in the last episode, but that would just be like trying not to feel at all. For example, you're so overwhelmed by feelings of sadness that even the most minor feelings of sadness trigger the intense feelings of sadness from that unscrubbed event that keeps coming back. And you don't want to feel it because it's so painful to have the, the trigger. It brings back something so painful that you just don't want to feel at all. And this could look like compulsive drinking, compulsive social media use, obsessive of something else. It's just numbing. It's numbing. It's trying to completely disassociate from, from the, the trigger. Okay. And it's, it's very, very sad too, because let's say that you feel like feeling in general is too intense, or let's say that even the most minor anxiety triggers the main anxiety. Well, that's just going to prevent you from doing a whole bunch of things because a lot of things can give minor stress. Okay, like doing a presentation, um, doing this podcast, okay, or just opening up to a friend or partner. But if if like a minor thing is is triggering you, is preventing you from from doing that, it's gonna make it very very hard to ever engage with with life and with things in life that will help us. Um, the other thing is that we need to feel. Okay, so humans need to feel, I, I think, to be alive, okay? So what they do is they, they create feelings to fill in a gap of feeling, but they're not healthy. So for example, like, it's too intense to feel um, normal emotions because, like, they trigger something or it's too intense to feel anything that could make them sad or stressed. So instead, they start doing something to their body, okay? Like, um, God forbid cutting themselves, or drinking excessively to create other feelings, okay? They're creating feelings to fill a gap where feeling doesn't exist because it's too painful to feel on their own. Um, There's another big issue. I'm not, I'm not really going to get more into this, but it, it, is a, it is a response that occurs sometimes, I believe, it, because of, of trauma, okay? Because of trying to just avoid those triggers. Now, another issue that can arise in trauma is... We can so so in that first example when I use dismissal and numbing, 
we were trying to avoid the trigger completely, and in doing that, set ourselves up in bad places where we couldn't fully engage with life and thrive. Um, like by not wanting to ever be in an intimate and loving relationship because we're scared of intimacy or not feeling fully comfortable opening up to our partners because we're scared of, of trust or not being able to take on a presentation or a project because we're scared of rejection, okay? Avoiding the trigger or using a substance like alcohol to just negate all feeling whatsoever or to create artificial feelings of drunkenness to fill in a gap in feeling that, that exists now. The other thing, okay, this is called, I'm going to call it dismissal of ideas, a response to trauma. So let's say that the trauma left us feeling very sad, very lonely. They're, they're usually negative events, okay? Like the emotion is so negative and intense that we don't know how to scrub it. We, we all see the world through stories, okay, through lenses. And if we can't get rid of this negative feeling, and the negative feeling comes over and over and over again, we might make up a story to make the negative feeling make sense. Okay, so let's say that we feel really, I don't know, let's say that we keep feeling very lonely and sad because this trigger is just keeps being activated, and the same pain that we once felt from a very negative event is coming back again and again and again and again. And we find ourselves feeling so lonely and sad, we're going to start to see the world through a lens of, of loneliness and sadness. And we might actually tell ourselves, well, if I keep feeling this, then maybe I deserve to feel it. And the moment that you, you, you get that thought, it's actually setting you on a very downhill road because, well, if you deserve to feel lonely and sad and other people are happy, well, then maybe you aren't as good as other people, okay? Now, this is another negative thought. Now, maybe you are worse than other people. You're like defective in some way. Oh, this is an even more negative thought. Now it's super hard to justify any form of self-care, which will actually help you, um, could help you recover. Um, because, well, if, if you're meant to be lonely and sad because you deserve it, then what's the point of engaging with friends, exercising, sleeping well, eating well, and seeing a therapist? And this is actually something um, John Moe talks about in his book, um, the hilarious world of depression is that it was really hard for him to justify seeking help because he felt that he didn't deserve it because he was defective. He was saying, why should I see a therapist or counselor if I am not deservant of their time? Because I'm worth less than other people, so let them spend their time helping people who deserve to be helped. But this is so negative because those people can actually really help them. And it's so sad. It's so unfortunate that this pain is almost like a parasite preventing him from actually engaging in the help that can help him recover, which he does eventually over many, many years of hard work. And he does say yes to life in the end. And Another thing I just want to mention here, this is from Viktor Frankl. We're going to talk all about Viktor Frankl in future episodes because he's so interesting. Um, he is an Austrian um, psychiatrist. Um, and something that Viktor Frankl says is that everyone, in his, sorry, in his book, Yes to Life in Spite of Everything, is that everyone is uniquely imperfect in their own way, okay? Now think about this. Because everyone is different, that means that everyone has something that someone else doesn't have, in a sense, because everyone's different. So that means that everyone is uniquely imperfect, because if you're comparing yourself to somebody else, then you will never be exactly like them, 
Okay, so you're you're imperfect in your own way though, because you're you're different to them also in your own way. So everyone is uniquely imperfect because everyone's a bit different to everyone else. But because of that, everyone is also uniquely perfect in their own way. Okay, because just like they can never be exactly like someone else, you can turn that logic around. Okay, and you can look at it from a different perspective and say, well, you also have something that no one else has. Okay, so either you can look at it like, well, everyone doesn't have what the other one has, or no one has exactly what I have, which means that there's something that I must be uniquely best at. Wow. And that's actually what, what Frankel recommends so much in his, his practice that he, he I'm, I'm going to say, coined the word logotherapy, which is all about helping people find their why, helping people find meaning. And he suggests a really big part of Healing is, is finding meaning in your life, okay? Establishing your why and nurturing it. So, so far on the show, we talked a lot about the idea of trauma, and I want this to stick with you. Being a brain glitch, a brain malfunction, there's so much stigma associated with trauma, okay? With depression, with anxiety, with post-traumatic stress disorder, post-traumatic, that T, it relates to trauma, unresolved trauma, um, in society, like people who have it are weak, people who have it are not good enough. I hate all of the stigma, guys, because if you break your arm and the bone is broken, you go see a doctor. If the cells in your body are glitching, God forbid, and you end up with cancer, you go see a doctor, okay? If your mind is glitching because of a, a um, an error, essentially, in the transfer of memory between the hippocampus and the anterior cingulate cortex, you should also go see, like, you, sh you should think about it in the same way as you're going to see a doctor. I mean, not only a doctor, counselor, and there are other, there are other you know, techniques, therapists, psychologists, but I just, I want you to think about it with the same detachment of stigma, because nobody is, is, like, mad about going to, I don't know, I mean, I wouldn't say mad, no one will make fun of you for going to see a doctor if you, like, sprain your ankle, Okay. So why should they make fun of you if you go for a sprain? You can think about a sprain like a glitch in the brain. So how do we focus on healing? And just before I get that, I, I, I said that I would talk about dreams. Um, dreams are, really quickly, part of that memory reconciliation from the hippocampus to the anterior cingulate and part of all integration in general that occurs with the, in the brain. So when we move memories or we change the state of memories or other things, such as by disassociating the emotion from them and then integrating them into the, a different part of the brain, um, people think, some people think like Matthew Walker and Why We Sleep, that dreams are, in a sense, a byproduct, kind of like a side effect of this kind of movement in the head, this kind of neural signaling Okay, making sense of integrating new things produces visions that we see on our eyelids in the form of dreams. Okay, by visions I mean like, like, um, like images that we see. But it has to do with this memory integration. Okay, so that dreaming, dreaming is is moving things around in our brain, making sense of things, making new connections in our in our brain. Dreaming. Um, so that's, that's really exciting. It's, it's part of how the brain works during sleep. And also, 
Um, there are a lot of benefits to getting enough sleep. Um, see Matthew Walker's, which we've, we've already talked about on the show before, but check it out. It's really interesting why we sleep for lots more about the benefits of sleep and how it changes our brain. He talks about trauma there as well. So how can we heal from trauma, okay? Well, I want you to think about this. So we, we talked about it at the beginning. Your car breaks down, okay? Or let's say you need an oil change, and you don't know how to change the oil, or you don't have the oil or whatever. You don't have the tools to change it. You can either keep driving it until the whole car breaks down, or you can go see a mechanic who can change that oil. Let's say that the pot is dirty. You can either keep scrubbing it with um, hand soap, okay, until it, you know, I don't think anything's going to come of that and get really frustrated, or you can go to the store or, like, get a new one kind of thing, or, like, I don't know, hire some sort of cleaning service to clean, clean, okay, like, I don't know, some special cleaning service. Um, the same thing is true with our brains, okay? So if there's a glitch beyond your capacity to fix on your own, you can see somebody who can help you fix that glitch. And there are a lot of ways to do that. Some of them, which I'll mention here, are cognitive behavioral therapies, like cognitive processing therapy, stress inoculation therapy, okay? There are other ones really cool called eye movement desensitization and reprocessing called EMDR therapy. There's also emotionally focused therapy, internal family systems therapy, and so much more. There are all these different tools from professionals that can help you scrub that memory, okay? Get the memory integrated from your hippocampus to your anterior cingulate so you no longer feel the same tenseness, hearts racing, arms clenched as you experienced before, okay? It's honestly, it's like a curse because the most negative, negative emotions, unfortunately, when they're so intense that we can't deal with them, keep coming back. And it's like, ugh, why do you have to keep coming back? Well, just like we would get a professional to change the oil of the car, we can also get a professional to help us reconcile those emotions, okay? Now, I want to just give a quick highlight. And by the way, sorry, there are other therapies that I didn't mention on the show. Um, so talking to a professional can actually help you discover the best one for you. Um, but they all kind of take their own course to help you reconcile the memory, essentially help you overcome the memory um, and get back to normal. Now, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, I want to talk about it. I think, I think it's especially interesting um, because... Remember when I said REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep, is, is called that because our eyes are moving under our eyelids um, back and forth? Well, EMDR is trying to recreate, in a sense, a very similar environment to what occurs during REM sleep. The idea is that if you can create those back and forth eye movements combined with some prompts um, to think about, you can help to integrate that memory in the same way as you would... Um, like in REM sleep, the idea is like if you can move your eyes back and forth and get those prompts by a professional who's trained in it, you can help to integrate the memory in the same way that it would occur in REM sleep. And I think that this was invented, this form of therapy, by a therapist who is going for a walk in the park and thinking about a painful event, and they moved their eyes back and forth while they were thinking about it, and then they realized that 
wow, like they felt better about it afterwards. I read this in Bessel van der Kolk's The Body Keeps the Score, a book all about stress and trauma. Um, but, but the interesting thing here is then they, like they, they were two fields in like sleep science, neuroscience, about REM sleep, and then in psychiatry, psychology, about trauma. And then they recognized that maybe this back and forth eye movement relates to REM, those same eye movements that happen in that, that stage of sleep, which Matthew Walker talks about in Why We Sleep. And then those two fields kind of merged together and said, ah, maybe that's why the eye movements combined with the prompts are effective um, because they are similar to the, those eye movements that occur in REM. So you could, you could check that out. It, it's, really, it's really interesting um, once, once you check it out. Um, tell me what you think about that story. There's some really interesting stories as to why things were invented. The more I look at it. A lot of things were actually invented by chance, kind of like by a fluke, which is also really interesting. Now, why did we talk about all this on a show about relationships? It's just to reconcile the idea, guys, that this could be affecting your relationship, okay? And it's so, so important that you deal with this because if there is an unresolved trauma, okay, and it is affecting your way to establish intimacy, to establish trust. It makes you uncomfortable when your partner holds you. It makes you uncomfortable alone. It makes you feel like you can't breathe sometimes over, over stresses that are triggering, okay? It doesn't necessarily have to make it so that you're unable to function. At that case, it would be a disorder, like post-traumatic stress disorder is trauma, associated stress, so trauma, that after the event, post, makes you unable to function, disorder. Okay, but we can still be able to function most of the time and it can still be a problem because let's say that we get very triggered, very aggravated by many of the things that our partner does and we don't know why. Okay, and we want to love our partner, but we find it so hard to come to them and to be close to them. And let's say that we want to be kind, we want to smile, we want to be there, but we find ourselves being very, very tense. Okay. It's just, it's hard, it's hard to relax unless we deal with this underlying issue, which is the glitch, that brain glitch. And that's what I want to push so much, guys. So, so important. Just think of it as a glitch the same way that you would think about other glitches in the body, okay? Just because it happens in the brain. Um, I don't understand why there should be so much more stigma there, but I think society in general is getting better about it, okay? So let's wrap up Everything, everything, everything right now, okay? How heavy is a glass of water? It depends on how long you hold it, okay? Trauma, in a sense, is a glass of water that's like especially full and we're just unable to put it down. And yes, it was a bit heavier at the start, but it's way heavier now that we just can't put it down. It's so, so much when you hold something and we tell ourselves, I feel so heavy. Yeah, yeah, because... Emotions create feelings in our bodies. That's why we call them feelings, because we feel them, okay? We need to learn how to put that glass down, but we can't because our brain can't use its mechanism, the normal mechanism, to put the glass down, okay? It's just not working. It's too intense to be scrubbed on its own. And it's okay that that happens, guys. It happens to everyone. Some people more severely than others, okay? We all have soft spots. Remember, soft spots are those things that trigger us from zero to 100 very, very quickly, and they're unique to different people. So if you, if you find yourself triggering a partner's soft spot, be curious to discover what it is. Don't get mad at them for being upset, guys. Remember, first rescue, 
for everything's coming together on the show. Okay, first rescue. And then try to understand what that soft spot is. Now, if it's a minor soft spot, for example, like feeling uncomfortable about actually, you know what? I, I don't wanna I don't wanna say what's a minor, minor soft spot because it's gonna be unique to each person. But if it I mean if it doesn't affect most of your life, then that's great. But if you find it significantly affecting part of your life or your relationship, um, like engaging in intimacy or trust or closeness with your partner or being alone or any of that, it is so, so important to get help scrubbing that emotion from the harmful memory. And it doesn't have to be one memory. It can be like a sequence of memories, okay? To make it easier for you to engage and enjoy life, to say yes to life, Okay. And just to recap, some of the negative things that can occur when we don't deal with trauma um, is an analogy we used on the social media recently. Is It's kind of like taking a fire and being like, oh, I don't want to deal with this. I'm just going to put it in the closet. And then your whole house burns down, okay? Or kind of like an oil change. Like, ugh, I don't want to deal with changing the oil, okay? And then your engine breaks down. Or kind of like a pipe leak. Ugh. You know, I don't want to deal with the leaking pipe and then the whole house collapses, okay, from water damage and mold and ugh, who knows what else. Um, the longer you wait, guys, the harder it gets to deal with it. They are a number of tools um, that you can use to make it easier. The first ones being like trying to not, trying to counter the symptoms, okay? So for example, disengagement or numbing. Like if you find yourself often disengaging, try to engage more when when it's okay to do so, like by making an effort to connect with your friends, to tell your friends what you're going through, if you feel safe doing so, and share your experience because your friends can help, in a sense, correct the the mindset that you have, for example. So if you feel like, you know, you deserve bad, your friends can help you feel a little bit better, kind of see it from a different perspective. Maybe in that moment, that could help you feel better. Other things that help us feel better, guys, too, is like exercise, breathing, and connecting with our body. Because remember, we talked about numbing, trying to disconnect, but trying to connect again, okay, through mindfulness, trying to connect with our thoughts, and breathing meditation, trying to connect with our bodies, can help us feel more engaged with our bodies and in control of them again, Okay. And then we also talked about dismissal of ideas. Well, if you think that you just deserve something, okay, it's then like, oh, well, if I deserve it, I deserve bad. I don't want to do anything to help me be better because I don't deserve it. That's a very, 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 very negative mindset, okay? And it's not, it's not you. It's, I want you to think about this kind of like as the disease, as the trauma speaking, okay, as the stress speaking. But talking about it with friends can help you, I hope, help you see it a little bit differently. And remember, guys, it's always good to consider professional professional counseling to help deal with the source of the issue, okay? So this could look like cognitive behavioral therapy, um, a whole bunch of different styles, EMDR, okay? A movement desensitization and reprocessing, um, emotionally focused therapy. There's, there's a whole bunch, okay? Stress inoculation therapy, they can help you see it a bit differently. And if you're having a bit of trouble connecting in one of those sessions, you can always try somebody else, okay? Um, because there are many, many people giving away therapy. That's why many of them don't actually charge for the 15-minute intake session. Um, it's so that you can find the person that you connect with. Another thing before we end off is 
the Find Your Why by Viktor Frankl. Um, he recommended in Logotherapy, which we'll talk about on a whole separate show, that finding meaning in your life, finding some sort of passion, drive to keep you going, is an excellent way to help you feel better, more meaning, stronger, more in touch with yourself. Um, so that's another thing that I just encourage you to think about is what's your why? What's that thing that you're better at than anyone else? Okay, because remember, we're all uniquely imperfect in our own way, but we also, by the same logic, are then uniquely perfect Okay, in our own way. Because there's always going to be something that we don't have that someone else has, but there'll always also be something we have that no one else has because of who we are. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. I hope, I hope that you found it meaningful. Just a super, super quick recap. Um, okay, what is trauma? Memory that can't be reconciled from short to long-term memory. Emotions can't be scrubbed. An example of um, successful scrubbing is when you imagine a time when you cried because you couldn't play with a toy uh, when you were a young child um, or you, know, you couldn't have dessert. You don't feel strong emotions for that anymore. But some other events, if you still do, that could be a source of unresolved trauma. It can lead to soft spots, um, which if, if, you know, if you can still function in your relationship, then that, that's, that's great. Um, but they could lead to a complete inability to truly engage with a relationship, um, which can be quite harmful for you and your partner if they're not resolved. They can be resolved by seeing a professional, just like you would to fix a broken bone or to fix a leaking pipe or an oil change in a car. Okay? And when we think about it as a brain glitch instead of like a stigma or something else, it makes it so much easier to understand, okay? And, and to feel better about seeking help. And we talked about dreaming. Dreaming is a form of a side product. I'm going to take the view of Matthew Walker um, for my We Sleep of memory integration in the brain. Cool, huh? If you want to hear more from us, follow us on social media. We are Learn to Love Media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, on YouTube. You can find us Learn to Love, and on Pinterest, um, Learn to Love. Our actual Pinterest name. I looked into this. If you search Learn Love CA, you'll get us on Pinterest, and that's from our website LearnLove.ca. So if you search the string. Um, Learn Love CA, like the sequence of letters on Pinterest, you'll find our page there. Um, send us a message on Instagram or Facebook um, or any of those services if you want to get in touch. We're posting a lot of bite-sized, like kind of one-minute blog versions with videos um, on the Instagram and Facebook. So if you want to read more and you want it kind of bite-sized, um, check it out over there, Learn to Love Media. And of course, if you want a more in-depth written version of the things that we talk about, check out our blog, um, learnlove.ca slash blog. Also, super exciting news. Um, a few things. One is we have a bunch of videos from our course, the free preview videos um, that we're going to be sharing on YouTube real soon. You can also stream the podcast now from YouTube um, if you would rather stream it there. Um, and another thing is that we have some really, really cool guest speakers lined up and coming to you on the show over the next couple of weeks. So I'm super, super excited about that. We're going to talk about media and technology and society. We're going to talk about estrangement and get all about what that is, what to do if you might be experiencing estrangement and to recognize what it is. 
Um, we're hopefully going to hear from some counselors um, and psychologists and so much more. So I'm super excited to share that with, with you over the next few weeks. Um, it's going to be really, really exciting. So thank you so, so much again for listening. I hope that you found this show meaningful. Um, I hope that it helped you discover something new about yourself and your relationship, that it will help you build a healthier relationship and a stronger, healthier dynamic with your family. And also, um, we have a really fun episode, I forgot to mention, coming to you um, from a podcast that we just did a collaboration with all about what happens after people fall in love. Can't wait, wait to share that with you too. So stay tuned. It's so much fun. And with that, um, you can also send any feedback you have about the show to contact at learnlove.ca. I read all the feedback we get and it helps to make the show better. So thank you to everyone who's sharing feedback. And I can't wait to welcome you back in the next episode. Thank you for joining me.